Hello, welcome to The Brain Doc. I am your host, Dr. Athney, a board-certified neurologist. This podcast series will talk about random stuff, some medical, some non-medical. So buckle up and enjoy the series. On today's episode, we will have a nice discussion with a third-year medical student whose name is Un, and he is planning on pursuing ENT, or otorhinolaryngology. So today, uh, our guest is uh, Un. He's a medical student here in Georgia, and I'll pass the microphone on to him so he can tell you a little bit more about himself. Hey guys, my name's Un. I'm a third year medical student who's just freshly completed the core clerkship component of medical school. And um, as mentioned, I am going to school here in Georgia, and uh, I've actually just rotated and finished uh, uh, rotating through Dr. Athney's site. He thinks he passed. We don't know, we'll find out, right? Uh, so uh, you went to college in Georgia as well. Is that right? Yes, sir. So uh, for undergrad, I went to the University of Georgia and uh, I majored in nutrition. Wow, nutrition. How did you find nutrition as a major? So originally I was uh, like most pre-meds uh, on the biology route and I actually came across nutrition and I found it vastly more, I don't want to say more interesting, but it was something that drew me in just due to its applicability just right away. Um, transitioning you know, what you learned from the classroom that day and being able to apply it to your life and also being able to give advice on that information to you know whoever is receptive to it as well. Were you thinking of doing nutrition as a long-term career or was that a stepping stone initially? So originally for me, nutrition felt like a much more feasible goal in the sense that I didn't really know what a career would look like in either of those, uh, from either of those majors. So uh, with biology, for example, I didn't know what I would do if I didn't go into medical medicine or healthcare. And then with nutrition, it was it felt more like a, um, a subject that I was passionate about. And I could actually actualize some of the, um, I guess, the objectives with nutrition in the sense that, of course, you can benefit from it personally, and you can also you know counsel people regarding it. So uh, from that sense, for a career path, I really didn't put too much thought into it. But I knew that the, the career path with just a nutrition degree was a bit limited. Got it. So did you finish um, college rather? and then go direct to medical school? Or did you do anything else in between before medical school? As um, as an undergrad, I had declared as pre-med. And for me, I wasn't necessarily so sold on going to medical school or being in medicine, really. And that was a, a, a big point of contention between you know my parents and uh, and what I wanted to do. But uh, I actually did spend a few years uh, uh, you know, in between when I matriculated and, of course, when I graduated undergrad. And that was a personal choice. And um, during those years, I, I spent it, you know, trying to get a bit more exposure to the healthcare field as uh, I didn't necessarily have um, too much exposure as an undergrad student. And it was a bit difficult for me to find those opportunities uh, readily. That's an interesting point. So uh, opportunities, do you think now, uh, before I go on, are you the first person in your family to go to medical school? Yes. So I am the first and only person in medicine and 
my entire family, actually. So, uh, it's, which means yeah. everyone's going to be asking about every single ailment they ever have had and will, right? Yeah, that's why I'm taking my uh, study so seriously because <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, at the end of the day, uh, it, it is it is a bit of a I don't want to call it daunting in the sense that I'll, I'll be the only one, but I I really do pride myself on you know potentially being able to you know help my family members out or, or triage their problems and in, in a more productive way, and so uh, that is a big motiv motivator for me. Yeah, you know, healthcare in the U.S. is so scattered and it's so fragmented that you need someone to really guide you so that those are great personal ambitions and so when you when you're going through the process and, and with being the first person who is even considering medical school in your family how did you get advice or counseling on which path to take because it is a very difficult path for someone who's never been in the system you know I, I would have to definitely agree with that statement going to a really really large uh, undergraduate uh, program and expecting to receive counseling regarding the path, uh, it's all, it, it was unrealistic. And it still, I believe, <laughs> is partially unrealistic in the sense that you really do have to just take ownership of the process. And as mentioned, it is exponentially more difficult when you have literally nobody in the field of healthcare, uh, you know, in your immediate family. But for me, it was a process of finding resources online, really. And, you know, whether that be discussion boards here and there, and, you know, that's a completely different discussion altogether as that can quickly spiral to an unproductive level. But um, I, it was really a, a very piecemeal process where I was asking people who have, you know, my friends who might be a year ahead of me or two years ahead of me, uh, will have brief conversations. And I found those to be the most helpful, really, of, of everything. That's great. That's great. And once you once you finally decided, yes, I want to do medical school, how long did that process take from after finding your future passion and actually accomplishing it? So there was a really big disconnect for me as to what a career would look like as a physician or, you know, what a day-to-day -day looks like. And I think that's partly because, one, I, I didn't really go to the doctor as a, as a child. And um, I could probably count on one hand the amount of, you know, interactions I had with the physician. But at the end of the day, when I finished my undergrad, I really didn't feel like I had a good grasp of what healthcare really was and what it would look like in terms of its delivery. And we hear about all these, you know, big problems with the health healthcare industry, the pharmaceutical industry. And I hadn't even cracked the surface on, you know, how to dissect that problem and, you know, what that would mean for me as someone pursuing that field. So I really spent those years in between when I graduated and when I would put my application together to, to really definitively know in my heart that this is what I want to throw the rest of my life at. So if you went through all of that process and you're on the other side now, you're in medical school, if that process was not successful for you, what would you have done? You know, I have that conversation with, uh, with my friends and my girlfriend all the time, actually. And so um, it's something where you have to really candidly look at your own, you know, personal strengths and attributes. And a big part of, you know, what is important to me is still being able to help people in a productive way. And um, I've always been interested in the human body as well. Uh, and, you know, I've always been reasonably uh, health conscious and, you know, uh, I exercise uh, pretty religiously as well. So I was actually considering PT at one point. And who knows how rewarding of a field that would have been for me. And, you know, at this point, I will never know. But uh, that was a serious consideration in the back of my head in the event that, you know, things didn't pan out on this this part of the journey. Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad you 
at least had an alternate path. Uh, I know a lot of students who I've asked this question to just, you know, undergraduates or even medical students, and they tell me I had no plan B. Um, so on that note, for future students, future pre-meds or pre-meds or future MD students, is that something you'd recommend? Give it some personal thoughts, some self-reflection and have a plan B? Or do you think most folks are successful in this path where a plan B is not needed? I wouldn't necessarily say that everyone who's, or not everyone, but the majority of people probably are not too successful with making the transition to matriculation. And, you know, that that's just a, an objective um, statistic. Absolutely. And I mean, you think about the undergrads who declared pre-med and within a few years, uh, you know, you get a fraction of, of that of that population uh, even applying for medical school. So uh, in a way, you know, undergraduate is a very disorienting time. You have, you finally have independence, you're making new friends, you find new hobbies, you find what your strengths are or what they're not. And navigating the process, uh, you know, along the way and stopping to really think, um, you know, that, that doesn't necessarily always happen. And so I would actually encourage a, a plan B because without that, you know, you're kind of dangling parts of your self-worth for, for making this jump. And, you know, I don't necessarily think that that could ever really pan out to be um, as, I guess, what I'm trying to say is essentially it's it's a it's a difficult journey and you definitely should have a plan B and uh, evaluate yourself candidly with the t- with the few bits of time that you do have and 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 truly consider other fields and what those fields would look like for you on a day-to-day basis as a practitioner of that. Great. And the fact that you took those years off and I guess the common phrase that's used is gap and that has, you know, a lot of connotations to it, you know, when it's done in the way you did it, I think it's a very positive thing where you took time off to reflect on your career choices, what you do. I know a lot of folks take gap years. They're forced to take gap years, but a voluntary set of gap years, do you encourage that? You know, I think um, that, that phrase, your mileage may vary, is uh, holds very true, but um, there were a lot of benefits that I, I got through my gap years, and I, I wouldn't trade that journey for anything at this point. Um, granted, it wasn't, you know, this exponential, like, amazing progress through every step of the way. Um, but I think, you know, as a as someone going into a field that is so demanding uh, from an emotional uh, maturity level, um, it's definitely something to consider because, you know, as you transition from that undergrad time, you may be, you know, 22 years old, maybe 21 years old. And having the expectation that you'll just, you know, you'll, you will definitely mature into this, this, this profession, it's um, likely, yes, of course, you will mature. But the timeline in which everyone matures is vastly different. So for me, for example, I considered myself very independent. I considered myself emotionally mature. But um, if I were to kind of turn back the clock and be able to, you know, have a conversation with myself back then, I would say I wasn't ready. And I say that very candidly, because, you know, there are parts of this journey, uh, especially throughout the clerkship years, where I truly reflect back and think to myself, wow, like, I don't know how, you know, younger me would have been able to have effectively, you know, mitigated this stress or, you know, compartmentalize some of these things. So that's kind of my stance on it. That's great. That's, of that's, course, you have excellent people out there who do it all. Right. No, no, no. But everyone's individual. That's, that's exactly the point. Wonderful. So you're in medical school. And so talk to us about your transition into medical school. So you're in and now it's August of your first year. How is that transition? Um, so I guess uh, to re- re-ask the question, is it, are you asking about my transition into medical school? Yeah. The matriculation yeah. process? Yeah, yeah. So you're in. Now you have your acceptance letter and um, you, you're mo- you've moved to your, uh, the city of uh, the medical school and you got your apartment and you're 
where to go. So those first month, the first few months, how was that transition? You know, um, when you spend a few years out of school, you can't help but to think about how you would have done things differently, um, you know, in your undergrad time or any other time, really. And so when I first got into school, I, or first got my acceptance, I thought to myself, wow, like this is, I know one, like this is exactly what I want to do. Two, my motivation is at an all time high, like what can I do to really support myself and make sure that this is, you know, the focal point. And um, I did something very, uh, now I reflect back and I, I, I don't think that um, that was the best decision. So I, clearly I'm still making some mistakes here and there. <laughs> but uh, I, uh, I actually signed myself up to live in a student dorm. And this was at the time of, you know, the, the COVID scare really. And so, and I call it a scare because we just didn't have enough information about it at, at that point. And so I really should have put more thought into my living situation because I, you know, I go from living in a home by myself and it's, you know, a lot of space, a lot of room, a lot of freedom into, you know, putting myself into this cube with, you know, <laughs> dim lighting and uh, surrounded by undergrad students who are, you know, 17, 18 years old. And, you know, in my head, I was convinced that living close to school and, you know, making it seem as though, you know, this is the true focal point. Uh, and I thought that would be, I thought that would, I would be able to reap so many benefits through that decision. And that just was not the case. And it ended up being a bit distracting, actually. So um, that transition, that part was a little bit difficult. But um, I was very eager to hit the books. I was very, very eager because it almost felt I, throughout the gap years, um, I worked as a medical assistant for, for about four years of it. And so, you know, by the latter half of it, I couldn't help but to be aware of my knowledge deficits. And I, I crave um, knowledge because that's that's what's going to bridge that gap uh, for me. And, you know, that's the next step. And so um, in a way, I know a lot of people, they they tell you about the, the, the pace in which med school goes. But uh, even with me, with motivation at its all time height and me living in a student dorm, like the pace uh, of the preclinical curriculum uh, is, is, is no easy feat uh, to course through successfully. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting point. So, you know, a lot of students think they have to learn everything to the nth degree. What, what's your advice on? So it is, I mean, I will say it's okay to let your mind wander and, you know, find out more about specific topics such, but when you're on a time crunch, it's really important that you, you know, you're able to get the job done, uh, which is, you know, make it through each of the subsequent steps. And uh, while while the foundational knowledge is invaluable, uh, it is incredibly easy to be, you know, lost in the weeds. And um, I think that for that reason, it's really important to, you know, A, have like a study group or, you know, peers that you can kind of consult with that, you know, you can find out essentially what, you know, resources they might be using or, you know, how much time really they're allocating towards a specific topic. I'm not sure if that answered your no, question. No, no, I think that's good. Just, I guess, realizing that you can't learn it all and just kind of getting a good group of friends. Oh, no way. Yeah, yeah. And getting a good group of friends that'll kind of you study together and you're focused on what you got to focus on and there'll be stuff that you will I think most students should say I'm not going to learn it you can't learn everything and you got to voluntarily say I'm not going to learn that I'll come back to it at some point in my career which maybe never but you know <laughs> um, but you got to can't learn it all so I think that's important for a lot of students just kind of realize that otherwise you know their mental health stuff I think a lot of students start getting depressed because I'm learning everything I'm supposed to be learning and I'm paying for this major education that's part of this education process 
you're not going to learn it. And so as you went along in your pre-clerkship years, was there anything that you love about the pre-clerkship? I really love being in the anatomy lab. I thought that, you know, that type of experience is so invaluable. You, you know, actually being able to learn from a real human body uh, versus, you know, what you see in a textbook or, or PDF file. You know, um, I think that type of tactile learning too, that was tremendous for being able to cement things for me. Another thing that I really liked was uh, the my curriculum tried to incorporate ultrasound, ultrasound education through, you know, correlates in our specific modules. And uh, I also really like that too. Uh, of course, it's kind of like the kind of going back to being able to directly apply what you learn and kind of being able to still work with your hands and, you know, kind of piecing together your knowledge of anatomy and, you know, that, that spatial intelligence uh, is really put at work. You know, regarding the ultrasounds, I think your school is one of the very few in the country that incorporates that. And on the back side of it, uh, when students from your school applies to residency, the, res the residency programs are amazed at y'all's, the whole, the, no, the entire application class, uh, your skills, because no other class has that. No other student has that skill. So something to be very, very proud of. So kudos to your school for doing that and kudos for you guys to, uh, to learn that. And so uh, as you entered your uh, clinical years, uh, what do you think uh, was the transition that was good and the bad in that transition? And, uh, and what did you love about or what have you loved about your clinical year? Hmm. So I think for me, having the gap years where I, you know, worked in the medical field. So, you know, of course, you're, you're coming home, you know, maybe six o'clock or so. And at that time, I hadn't gotten my MCAT score. I hadn't taken the MCAT. And so it was this journey of or this, I don't know, I don't even want to call it a journey because it, it wasn't long enough. But there was there was that time period where I was studying for the MCAT while I was still having this full time job. And, um, you know, it's surprisingly very uh, similar uh, to clerkships, you know, you get home, you know, maybe six or seven o'clock, and you, know, you have to knock out a good chunk of information. And so that that kind of similarity, it, it, it felt very similar. I almost, you know, I, I thought back to, to how I was doing at that time. And it's, you know, it's about the same. And I don't want to say that MCAT content is, you know, similar to the, the nitty gritty parts of a shelf exam. But that transition wasn't so bad for me. And I actually really thoroughly enjoyed clerkships. And I actually really enjoyed the fact that, you know, you can get that, you know, work experience and the the studying aspect. And that was something that I actually really, um, that really pushed me to go to school in the sense that, you know, I, I'd be, I was working at an ENT clinic. So there'd be things that I would just, I would know what the, the treatment plan is, but I wouldn't know any of the basic knowledge behind it. And so I really didn't have that level of nourishment where I could come home and like really crack into it and like find out. And so being on clerkship, it's super cool. You know, you find out something that you're, you're terrible at, you just know nothing about. And you go home and you, you know, you try to bridge that gap and you know, get rid of that deficiency. And so it's very rewarding process. Yeah. So, you know, the way I look at the preclinical education is the foundation. So, you know, when you're working as a May or in a doctor's office without that foundation, you don't know what you're supposed to know. You don't know what you're supposed to learn. And you're just kind of going through that, that, uh, that life. But when you're in clerkship years, you've had this foundational education. Um, you know, most folks struggle through that first year because it's a lot of material, but you'd be surprised how much stuff most students absorb, you know, despite the difficulty. And when you get to clinical years, um, now you're building on top of the foundation. You know, a simple example, uh, most, you know, who are, if you're not in the medical field, if you haven't gone to medical school, most folks don't know what the anatomic position. Now that's day one of medical school. That becomes part of 
value. Uh, and so now when we talk about, you know, the right, left or the medial or the lateral, these words that are used all the time in, in medicine, uh, now you know what that means as opposed to just kind of going with the flow and seeing what your doctor is doing. So I think that's why medical school is the way it is. Um, but I'm glad you said what you said that, you know, you, you've enjoyed uh, building on what you've learned in clinics and learning from that, those experiences because that is what the clinical years really are. That's great. Great. So um, we're looking forward in your career. What do you want to do after you finish medical? So I've declared uh, ENT as my specialty. And so, of course, hopefully my future is as an ENT resident. And so that would so explain, hopefully be five years. So if you could explain to the audience what that means, declared ENT. Does that mean you're, you know, committed with a gun to your head? Or is it just, you know, just explain what that means. So, you know, it, it can mean what it means to you. And I think a big part of it is kind of identifying to your school, hey, this is what I want to do. And, you know, some schools may provide you resources or, you know, opportunities that really help to, to put your application together uh, geared towards that specific specialty. And when you declare a specialty, it's not to say that you can't, you know, change your mind or have another specialty in mind as well. So in short, I don't necessarily think that it's, you know, something that's that's incredibly important in the sense that it's not a binding decision. But for me, uh, it is something that I say uh, as a means to, you know, let people know that I truly am serious about pursuing this. Great. So ENT, so how'd you, uh, I know you worked in an ENT office, but is that what influenced you to go into ENT or was there something during medical school that got you into uh, the ENT world? So I'll say I, I entered medical school with a considerable amount of bias and that's because <laughs> I worked a few years in ENT. And um, a big part of, uh, of, you know, me being aware of my biases were, was the fact that I made a genuine and honest attempt at being interested and putting myself in an opportunity uh, in, in positions to be interested in the various specialties. So throughout the process, a lot of shadowing and, you know, even during clerkship, I wouldn't hide my intentions, of course, but in the back of my head, I was thinking I, you know, I'm trying to find something else that I'm falling in love with. But I found that anytime, you know, more of the, you know, ENT related field would come up, you know, like my eyes would just, and I, I would be infinitely more invested at that time. And, um, you know, who's to say that, you know, it's not because of the considerable bias that I have, but uh, when there is a certain level of passion that you have towards a specific field, you know, it's, I've gone, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, you know, I'm not going to try to suppress that. And, you know, I'm going to see where that takes me. And uh, a big thing for me is I worked in an ENT clinic. So it was at a private practice well. So I really didn't get to see some of the more um, involved things within the field, uh, specifically more of the head and neck procedures or the oncology. And uh, when I got to uh, medical school, I, I made it a point to, you know, really try to see and shadow um, the physicians who are doing those procedures. Procedures. And, you know, it only confirmed uh, what I was already interested in. And, you know, being able to see, of course, bread and butter stuff in clinic, but then also the more involved things. And that's kind of pushed me over the edge to really be uh, super duper interested. Oh, that's great. That's great. And so to the next step, which would be applying to residency and, and uh, uh, getting into a residency, how are you preparing in this uh, in this transition phase between medical school and residency? So um, I think I'm kind of adopting the mindset of, uh, of, you know, everything builds on top of itself. And while, I mean, of course, the transition from third, fourth year and submitting your application, that's a time like no other. But uh, I'm doing things like, of course, um, making sure
sure that some of my, you know, objective measures are a bit, you know, taken care of in the sense that, of course, taking care of research, taking care of how I'm scoring uh, uh, on these standardized tests, that's a given. But I'm kind of approaching it more as within two years time or a year and a half time, I need to be transitioning into being a resident regardless. And so, you know, just understanding that the effort that you put in is even at this point, it's going to continue to build and it's going to help you throughout the entirety of your career, no matter what specialty you go in. That's kind of how I've been grounding my my efforts and kind of motivating myself in a way. That's great. And um, fast forward, let's suppose you go to the process and in five, six years, you're a full-fledged board-certified ENT surgeon. Where do you want to practice? What are your long-term goals? And and the, I asked this in a, in, a, in a weird way in the sense that you're going to look back at this video in six years and, and say, what did I say? So yeah, what are, you, what are your thoughts now? And uh, we'll, we'll reassess in six years. Right. Um, so for me, location is very important. And I've grown up here in Georgia for almost my entire life. And a lot of my opportunities have come from here. Of course, I come from, I, I'm Korean, and I retained my citizenship up until I was about 20 years old, I, I want to say. And so for a long time, I thought that I will have to go back Korea, and I will proudly serve my country in the military for the two plus years that is required. And so I'm a, I would say I'm a very duty driven individual. And um, uh, I think it'd be very meaningful and special for me to be able to give back to this specific community in Georgia. But at the same time, of course, uh, you know, five, six years from now, I'll be married, uh, potentially and with kids. So all those factors considered, it's a a very personal conversation that I would probably have to have with with my significant other. And um, in terms of academic medicine or private practice, that's something that I'm still, you know, mulling over. But a big draw to academic would probably be just the fact that there's so much information coming out. And the way that we approach specific problems seems to change, not too drastically, but it does continue to change. And being up to date is incredibly important. And staying on the academic side of things can kind of clue you into those those new things coming out. So that's a big draw for me, actually. And just so in the final few minutes of this podcast, do you have any uh, thing to add any words of wisdom anything to tell uh, the audience you know medical school is incredibly challenging yes but i think you know this is something that i've gained with years in between but you know understanding who is important in your life and what is important in your life and what you're willing to really compromise or sacrifice setting that hard limit is incredibly important as you find yourself kind of dangling your self-worth for like objective scores and being an awesome student you have to you know dial back a little bit and think you know like what were you willing to sacrifice on this journey and like what like is that really truly what you intended to do on this like before you even course this journey so having that balance is incredibly important and the only person who can truly tell you you know what that balance should be is yourself and without that candid time of reflecting and like truly reflecting it, it kind of sets you up for a really rocky journey if, if you're not aware of those things so so keep those things in mind would be uh, advice that I would give. You know, so in, in broad terms, in my mind, at least, there are two very important concepts that I think medical students need to have to be successful. One of those is maturity, and the other one is communication. And hopefully in the last half hour, you've seen that Un has incredible level of maturity and an incredible level of communication skills. And so, you know, if we're listening, if, if, if that can be uh, of any uh, good advice, quote unquote, take it, because that's very important. And, and attendings, preceptors, doctors notice that.
that very quickly and uh, uh, and they can tell uh, who's on the right path and who's not. But uh, anyway, so we'll kind of conclude this uh, edition of this podcast on uh, ENT with Un. That's a nice name for it, ENT with Un, right? <laughs>